0: Whoa, that's on. That's live. That's a live mic. Where are we? Well, it's really great to see you guys, although I can't really see you because uh, you're in the dark for me, for these bright lights. I haven't been here at Church at Five uh, for a little while, so um, if you're new and I haven't met you yet, I'll hope to meet you after the, the service, but uh, why don't we start by praying, and then we'll get into the 31 chapters of Proverbs. That's what Brandon said, right? 31 chapters? Okay. Let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the example that Solomon set for us, and sets for us to seek wisdom from you in order to face the responsibilities that we have um, in following you and in living lives that are well-lived wherever you've called us to be. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today through your word, through the Proverbs, ancient texts that they are, and therefore we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to hear what you would say to us this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name and amen. If you don't have a Bible, um, bring one next time. Um, We have German Bibles here that we can theoretically hand out, but this is the English server, so unfortunately I don't have a pile of English Bibles that I can hand out to you, but uh, I'd encourage you to bring one next time. We we officially use the NIV here, although the NIV has disappeared from the computer. Maybe that was Brandon, maybe that was you, man, because I know you like the ESV. So uh, I'm going to be reading from the NIV here this evening, but you're going to see the verses in the ESV, but that'll be good because you'll be trained to compare and see how the different translations have come out. So the ESV is also a great uh, translation to use. And uh, as we talk about Bible uh, translations and Bible versions, that kind of gets us into the topic for tonight, which is Proverbs. Um, I remember when I was growing up, we didn't often stay in hotels, but when we did, you could open up a drawer next to the bed and there would be a... Gideon's Bible, who's ever had made that discovery in a hotel room? It's a really good thing that the Gideons were allowed to, in so many hotel rooms over so many years, to place the Word of God. And I remember the few times that I saw a Gideon's Bible, it might have changed by now. It was always the New Testament and then two other books. Those books were the Psalms and Proverbs. At least that's the way it was in Australia. Um, Psalms and Proverbs. Proverbs. And so I, I grew up thinking, Proverbs, that must be a pretty important book, because of all of the 39 books of the Old Testament, these Gideons chose two to put in their Bibles. They chose the Psalms and the Proverbs. They didn't choose the law, they didn't choose Genesis or Deuteronomy, they didn't choose uh, any of the prophets, but they did choose the Proverbs. And so, yeah, I, I grew up thinking this is an important. book It was one of the books that I first started reading in the Bible, because it's quite easy to read with very little background because a lot of the Proverbs um, have very practical wisdom for everyday life. You don't know, need to know too much background knowledge and you can get involved. But also, the other good thing about Proverbs is they're kind of bite-sized chunks. Proverbs really fits well with the modern app, you know, have a verse of the day. You could just really have a proverb of the day because you only need to read one proverb. Each proverb can be taken by itself and has a message. You don't need to read whole chunks of text. It's not like the letter to the Romans, or Matthew's Gospel. So, I grew up uh, reading Proverbs, but I think this is the first time that I've ever had a chance to speak about Proverbs, and it's really been a blessing these last few weeks, thinking about what to say uh, this evening. So, I started with saying, if you didn't, have, if you have your Bibles there, good. You can open up. We're going to be mostly in the Proverbs tonight. That makes sense. Um, with just a few verses in the New Testament towards uh, the end of the message, and you can follow along. In your Bibles. So, as Brandon said, we're doing a small series: Solomon's wisdom, or the wisdom of Solomon, and looking at the three books that are attributed, or you know, um, to King Solomon. And we start with Proverbs, which is the longest of these three. Proverbs longer than. Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs. But it's also the right place to start. And in in a way, we're doing this in the right order. The the Proverbs that we'll look at today has a lot of practical wisdom. Not just practical wisdom, though. That's what we're going to see later. But Proverbs is the place to start where we learn how to live a life according to the way of life that God's Word gives us. And then we move up. It, It is a progression. It's not just moving along. We're moving up as we then see how Ecclesiastes deals with the fact that we live in a fallen world. and I'm, I'm going to be interested to hear what, what the message is next Sunday. And finally, um, certainly one way of looking at the Song of Songs is therefore to see, to see us come into an intimate love relationship with God. So that's kind of uh, the way we're headed, and I'll be interested to hear the message on the Song of Songs as well. There are different ways of looking at the book. In fact, I would say a number of ways of looking at the book that are valid, um, but one of them is to see that love relationship that as we trust in God, live according to his wisdom, that we uh, have that intimate relationship with our Creator and our Redeemer. So basically what I want to do today is give you an introduction to Proverbs and give you a framework for how to read Proverbs. Proverbs. Brandon's given you the homework uh, for the summer, read the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs, and I want to help you, hopefully help you today, how to read Proverbs um, with, um, that, that it's an advantage to you, that it's, a, that it's a help to you, that it's a blessing to you. And as we do that, I want to give you a taste of the book. So we can't read all 31 chapters, but I will give you a taste of the book this evening. So let's write, let's jump right in um, with a little overview about the book. Brennan's already mentioned. It's attributed to King Solomon. But if you go through the book, you'll see that there are different sections that are attributed to other authors as well. Uh, there's four in, um, four all up. There's the mysterious figures towards the end of Agur and Lemuel, King Lemuel. That's in chapter 30 and 31. and I, I won't say any more, more about that other than to say that we don't know who those people are. And then in chapter 25, um, a reference is made to King Hezekiah's men, that they collected another bunch of proverbs. King Hezekiah, of course, came after King Solomon. He was a king of Judah, of the, the southern kingdom. So basically we can understand that, there, that Solomon is the father of wisdom in ancient Israel. He's the, um, and as Brandon said, he's the kind of guy you want to look to when you want to learn about wisdom. And he's obviously kicked off a tradition certainly within Israel, and and it's it's said in parts of the scripture that King Solomon collected 3,000 proverbs, which is a lot of proverbs, more than we have in the book today, so some didn't make the cut in the end. Um, And then other collections of proverbs were added later on, particularly by the men at the time of King Hezekiah. And now we have the book in its final form um, with these collections of proverbs uh, put um, together. And so, again, Solomon was the, was the father of wisdom in uh, ancient Israel, and that's why he's kind of the chief author of the book, even if not every single part of the book comes directly from him. Now, Brandon said this series is called um, Solomon's Wisdom, and so it fits, therefore, that Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, is an example of what we can call uh, wisdom literature. And there are four books in the Old Testament, or in the Bible, that are normally part of this category. Um, the other two, will, or the other two in this series, are certainly part of that category: Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs, and also Job. But we only had three weeks, right? And, and Solomon didn't write Job, and Job's like 42 chapters, so it seemed good to put Job aside uh, for now. But the interesting thing is that wisdom literature is not something that only existed in ancient Israel. It's not something that that just existed in Judah and Israel and was unknown in the rest of the ancient world. Um, Wisdom literature existed in all of the countries, so including uh, around Israel, including Egypt, and including Babylon and Assyria, and later Greece. And certainly, if you probably remember from high school, the Greek philosophers, philosophy in Greece is simply the love of Wisdom. So wisdom was something that was common to the world around the ancient uh, people of God. And um, in fact, there are close parallels in the book of Proverbs in the later chapters after chapter 22, close parallels with other works of wisdom uh, from the the ancient world, from uh, countries like Egypt, where it seems there's been um, a trading of different wisdom has gone or, or that the wisdom that that, um, that ends up in the book of Proverbs was not only known in Israel, it was also known in other places. So, that being the case, on the surface it can appear that wisdom literature is almost like it's secular. It's not particularly religious. It's not particularly associated with the worship of Israel's God. Um, wisdom refers to practical skills associated with understanding and living a successful life, being wise, getting ahead, making good decisions. And indeed, in the book of Proverbs, there's, there's no mention of the covenant that God made with his people. There's no mention of sacrifice. There's no mention of the exodus from uh, Egypt. Um, many of the Proverbs, and, and here's an example for you, uh, Proverbs 18.12, and I think all of the verses are going to be... Yeah, there we are. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Now that proverb's true no matter what God you believe in or if you believe in God at all. This is a general truth talking about how life works amongst us as human beings. So we can think that because these proverbs are kind of, they're almost like just nuggets of wisdom for everyday life, that they're therefore not religious or or not particularly associated with the worship of God. But it'd be wrong to think of Israel's wisdom literature, including the Proverbs, as being just plain common sense and and not having a spiritual component uh, to them. So wisdom literature is much more concerned with our personal lives than with the national life of the people of God, that's true, And it gives us advice for everyday choices in life. But, we'll see as we look at a few examples in a minute, wisdom in the ancient world, so not just in Israel, but in all of these different countries, wisdom operated on a certain understanding of how the world works, of how the universe works. It presupposes that the universe operates on the basis of a predictable moral order. Okay, So basically the idea is that there exists objectively right and wrong, wise and foolish, righteous and wicked, and that this objective reality has a reference point, God. Now the Israelites based, uh, their reference point was of course Yahweh, the God of Israel. That God has created the universe like this, and the universe runs on this moral order, and God is actively involved in the universe to impose his justice. So the idea is, behind the Proverbs, that if you are a fool or if you are wicked, you will end up being destroyed. If there is no God, that doesn't make sense, because there's no final Uh, There's no final judgment. There's no final arbitration. There's ultimately no one to say that you're acting wickedly or foolishly because what's to say that's wicked? That's just the way you're doing it. So the the, the underlying principle of the Proverbs is, no, no, in fact there is a God and he's created the universe and he's put an objective moral standard into the universe which is how things run. And so if you live a certain way, there are going to be consequences. If you live righteously and honestly and with integrity, then the general consequences are you are going to flourish. You are going to do well in life. You'll be blessed. And if you live wickedly and dishonestly, then you will receive destruction. Because God will make sure that justice is imposed. Now the problem is that this doesn't always happen. And that's what we're going to find out about next week in Ecclesiastes. So I'm just going to push that aside. And in fact, that's what Job, that's what the book of Job is all about. Because Job is in fact a righteous man and he's suffering. All his children are dead, all his possessions have been taken away and his place where he lives has been destroyed. And Job's three friends come to him and they're kind of operating on the basis of the Proverbs. Hey, look, if this is what's happened to you, then you must be wicked. You're receiving the just reward for living a wicked life. And they're saying, Job, where's this sin that's hidden in your life? And Job says, no, I haven't sinned. I'm a righteous man. And so Job is about the struggle that things don't always turn out the way they should if the Proverbs were these kind of iron laws for how this universe works. So that's one of the the things that we wrestle with uh, as Christians. Um, and we see that in the Psalms as, as well why, do, why are the wicked doing so well out of life, and we 're the righteous ones and we 're really suffering? So it can seem like wisdom is secular and non-religious, but in reality there's a, a religious theres a there 's a a viewpoint behind the proverbs that says, "God has created the universe he 's created a moral framework for how this universe works, and God is imposing justice." on this universe, and that is certainly true, that's certainly true, it's not always, we don't always see that, and that's where the struggle comes for us, but it's certainly true, let me give you a couple of examples, well let me give you an example here in Proverbs 14 and verse 11, there we go, here's the moral order, the way the universe works, because God's created that way, and because God is good, and because God is imposing justice, the house of the wicked will be destroyed but the tent of the upright will flourish. The universe operates according to a predictable moral order where wickedness is evil and wrong and leads to destruction. Being upright is good and right and leads to life and flourishing because God created the universe that way and he's involved in ruling it. So, what do we think of though when we think of the book of Proverbs? I have to say for me, and I assume it's the same for you, We think of the proverbs themselves, we think of little verses like that, those are the kind of the verse, the proverb of the day, Uh, we think of these in the strict sense of the word, these little two-liners, short sayings, they're often a pair, and they either complement each other, that is the the, the second line um, emphasizes and um, confirms the first line, or they're given as a contrast the first line makes a truth a positive truth and the second line then makes a negative truth based on the positive truth again I'll I'll give you an example and this is often given as a, as a short little piece of advice that we can remember easily because it's just a two liner so here's an example of contrast proverbs 12 and verse 1 there we go here's the con- contrast whoever loves discipline loves knowledge That's true. Somebody who is happy to be corrected in their life, that's the kind of person who loves knowledge, their desire to learn and grow. Contrast, but whoever hates correction is stupid. And now an example of complementarity, of, of the two lines really supporting each other in Proverbs 22, verse 4. Humility is the fear of the Lord, That's the statement. And now we're learning more about what what that means. It's wages are riches and honor and life. That's That's what fearing the Lord, being humble before God, that's what that will lead to. Riches and honor and life. But what I really want to say to you today is the book of Proverbs is made up of much more than just these collections of Proverbs in the strict or narrow sense of the word, in these little two-liners. And this is the key for us to understand and the key for us to read Proverbs correctly. And this is what this is kind of the tool, if you do the homework over the summer, that we need. We need to read Proverbs correctly. If we, if we look, if you flip through the book of Proverbs in front of you now, in the Bible that you brought with you today, um, you'll see that these collections of Proverbs... They only start from chapter 10 of chapter... There's 31 chapters, and from chapter 10, that's when these collections of little two-liners, little proverbs, start. That means there are nine chapters of prologue, of introduction, before this. And it's these nine chapters which are key and crucial for us to understand this book and understand how to read it for us. They give us the context... For how to understand these collections of sayings and proverbs, these little bits of advice and wisdom for our daily lives. So, before we get to chapter 10, the idea is that the idea behind the book, the the way the book is put together, is before you get to read these little bits of wisdom for your life, you need to read the first nine chapters. They're going to help you understand how to apply them to your life. You shouldn't just go to the second part and start ripping out little proverbs like fortune cookies. Okay, you want to go to the first nine chapters first. And I'm going to read um, the prologue with you now. From chapter one of Proverbs, let's read the first seven verses. Proverbs one, one to seven. Proverbs one, one to seven. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, King of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So these seven verses, they give us the purpose and the theme for the whole book of Proverbs. Proverbs is given to us, and it's given to you, all of us, uh, for gaining wisdom. For becoming wise. For gaining, not so much intellectual knowledge. It's not that we're kind of trying to learn a bunch of facts. But it's about practical living. It's about the ability to make wise decisions, decisions that lead to the best possible outcome, decisions that are so um, um, decisions that represent well the will of God as He's expressed to us in His law and in His gospel. So it's about becoming wise. But the key to reading Proverbs is also given to us here, and if you're Um, If you're following this evening, then I I guess that you would have guessed that it's in verse 7. That's the key to reading Proverbs as biblical wisdom. Right at the end of these first introductory verses, in verse 7. The fear of the Lord. Where do we start? How do we start on this journey of gaining wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And indeed, this is the key feature which separates and differentiates all other ancient wisdom from Egypt or Babylon or wherever from the biblical wisdom that we find in the Bible. You see, wisdom for the Israelite in ancient Israel, wisdom for the Christian, that is wisdom for you, begins with trust in and a fear of Yahweh, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ten to fifteen times, depending on how you count them, this understand this this concept of um, fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom is given to us in Proverbs, and that's that is this idea that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom is completely does completely doesn't fit with the idea that this is just common sense practical life advice what we're reading here is intimately connected with the Lord God of the universe. And we should understand what the fear of the Lord is here. This is not blind terror. This is not like we're, we're completely just terrified of God, but nor is it that we just kind of respect him. And it's like, well, 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 to be wise is a person who, who fears God. That is, that they they recognize that the universe Um, is not just subject to, slavishly subject to rules that always produce certain consequences, but instead that, that we realize that the universe is in the hands of God. That God is loving, God is just, but God has his own purposes for his creation. And it's these themes which are taken and explored in the rest of the wisdom literature. In Ecclesiastes, in Job, the problem of the suffering of the righteous person who suffers, and in Song of Solomon, where we look at divine love. So it's not a blind terror. So the key here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is basically what's explored in the next nine chapters of this prologue. Again and again in these nine chapters, if you read them, and I'm assured that you will, in the summertime you will see that we're encouraged to get wisdom and to avoid folly. That is foolishness. That is the opposite of wisdom, the opposite of fearing God, and therefore the opposite of being wise. That's foolishness and folly. So we we see the introduction here. What's this book for? It's to help us gain wisdom. Where do we start? We start with the fear of the Lord. And now we're going to listen to Solomon speak in a number of speeches in these next nine chapters, encouraging all who would read this book to get wisdom and warning them against folly, the opposite of wisdom, foolishness. And this culminates, this comes together in a choice, which is given to us in Proverbs chapter nine. The choice between wisdom and folly. And I want to give you a taste as a set of Proverbs. We've, we've had a few of the, those little couplets, those little pairs now. And I want to read chapter 9 with you now. It's not, a, it's not a long chapter, but we're going to see the choice that we're given. And again, remember, this is chapter 9, right before chapter 10 then starts with these collections of sayings. This is how the book's put together. So listen now to Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house, she has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine, she has set her table, she has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. Those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, drink the wine I have mixed, leave your simple ways and you will live, walk in the way of insight." Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. Yet she sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there. That her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. That's the other part of the book of Proverbs, not just little two-liners. So here we see in chapter 9 the choice. Wisdom and folly are personified as two women. We could say lady wisdom and lady folly. They're both calling out. They're both calling out on the streets, they're both extending an invitation, each one saying come to me, come to my house, come and eat with me and share fellowship with me. And obviously a personification, the idea is come and partake of what I have, come and share intimacy with me. And the significant thing here that's said of both these women is that they're at the highest point in the city. Did you notice that as we went through? The highest point of the city. Back in the days of the Proverbs, in the ancient Near East, the highest point of the city was always where the temple was, the place closest to the heavens. At the highest point of the city, that was the temple to the god of that city. And so this introduces a new element to us understanding this choice, this picture. Both of these ladies, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, are ultimately inviting us to come and worship. Come and worship. And therefore, Lady Wisdom, being that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, she stands here as a symbol for God's divine wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God, and therefore ultimately for God himself. She stands at the highest point of the city, that is the temple where God dwelt, and says, come, come and receive divine wisdom from the Lord God. Lady, Lady Folly also stands for the divine but she doesn't stand for Yahweh, the God of Israel, but she stands for all the other idols, all the other false gods that stand against Yahweh. And so the choice the choice comes down to this, the choice that Solomon is giving us, the choice that he himself, that's the thing, that's the, the tragic thing we, we, we read in his story, he chose correctly at the beginning, and that's what Brandon cited to us. But later in life, he fell into folly and foolishness and chased after foreign gods. And, but that's the choice that's given to us right here in chapter 9. Will we fear the Lord and therefore choose wisdom and begin the path of becoming wise by receiving divine wisdom from God? Or will we follow the pattern of Adam and Eve? Will we choose to be wise in our own eyes and listen to the lie, as did Adam and Eve and choose false wisdom, and go after foreign gods? Will it be wisdom, or folly? Will we follow Yahweh, or will we follow Baal? And it's only having understood this prologue, this choice, having understood the foundation of true wisdom, that is, fearing the one true God, that we're now in the right place to understand the collections of sayings and proverbs, which now follow from chapter 10. Now we're able to understand that words like wise and foolish in the following chapters have deeper meanings in the book of Proverbs. The person who's wise in the book of Proverbs is not just somebody who's kind of streetwise and, and gets it and is good at reading people. In Proverbs, the person who is wise is the person who fears the Lord, the person who's come through the first nine chapters and made the choice and committed themselves to Yahweh. And the person in Proverbs who is foolish, or the fool, is not just somebody who's simply uneducated or a bit silly. This is a person who doesn't fear the Lord, who's made the choice to listen to Lady Folly and has gone in to her house to eat of her wares, have gone after foreign gods or idols take the first proverb in proverbs chapter 10 and 1 this is this is where it starts just a few verses later a wise child or a wise son or child brings joy to his father but a foolish son brings grief to his mother if we just rip that out of context we wouldn't understand what's really being communicated here but what solomon wants us to understand this is the first of the proverbs that he uh, that he has collected and collated is that a wise son is a son who has come to understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, has committed to Yahweh and follows the true God. That's what a wise son is. And that kind of son son brings joy to his father. A foolish son, that's not just an idiot, it's not just someone who trips over their own shoelaces or slips on a banana peel. This is a son who has abandoned the fear of the Lord. That's what Proverbs is trying to teach us. Now, of course, we can take the, the, sen- the common sense, sense of course, that uh, a wise son is a joy to his father and a foolish son brings grief to his mother. But then we'd be missing out on the deeper meaning that Solomon is trying to communicate to us. And so we understand with Proverbs, Proverbs is basically laying out for us two ways of life. This is a common theme in the Old Testament. God says to his people, I set before you today life and death. Choose Life. Proverbs is laying out two ways of life. The Proverbs that we read from, verse, from chapter 10 onwards are not just good advice for getting ahead or mere common sense to help us get through life. Of course, they are good advice and they are common sense. We won't find anything foolish or stupid in there. But there's a deeper sense, there's a deeper level to this. They're showing us two patterns of life, two ways of life, two choices, two roads, two ways. And this is a question, that's what chapter 9 shows us right before we jump into the collection. This is a a question of life and death. Look back with me at chapter 9. Look at how Solomon describes the call or the invitation from Lady Wisdom in verse 6. Well, we hear the end of her quote, of her invitation. She says in verse 6, Lady Wisdom says, Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. And Solomon gives us his analysis of this in verses 10 and 11. Again, repeating the idea we heard before. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One, that is God, is Understanding. And then there's promise in verse 11. For through wisdom your days will be many. You will live long. Years will be added to your life. Follow the way of wisdom. That's the way to life. But look how he warns or look how he analyzes the call of Lady Folly. From verse 16 through 17. In 16 and 17 we hear the end of, of the invitation of Lady Folly. She says, Let all who are simple come to my house. She's appealing to the same people. People who want wisdom, she's inviting them, come to me. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. That's her advertising to get people in. Hey, come and drink of this stolen water. Come and eat secretly. That's delicious food. But, and it might be hard for us to understand exactly that's ancient literature, but listen to how Solomon analyses here in verse eighteen. He says, The people who go into her, to Lady Folly, little do they know that they're the dead are there. They're going into her fellowship with the dead, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. This is about life and death two ways, a choice, two roads. So that's how we have to understand. That's how, that's the help that we need to as we read through Proverbs. Reading through Proverbs in the summer will be, I mean, it can be interesting to sort of start in chapter 10 or 11, but it's not like reading another book. It's not like sitting down with the letter to the Galatians, which is the first series here at Church at Five, by the way, and reading through Paul's arguments about how we're saved by faith and through God's grace. Because as I said, each little Proverb can be taken on its own; it has its own um, its own statement to make, its own truth to make. And the proverbs are collected in a way. Some people have tried to 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 find an order to how they've been put together. I don't actually see an order. They seem just to be a collection. And so you can't just sit down. Well, you can, but it's difficult to just sit down for half an hour and just read proverb after proverb after proverb. You won't gain much from that. You have to think about what the proverbs are saying. And that's what this prologue of nine chapters is designed to help you do, to help you understand that there are two ways of life, two patterns of life here, and that a choice is required, that you follow the invitation of Lady Wisdom and not that of Lady Folly. Now, as we read on into these collections, though, uh, during summer, I want to uh, wrap up now by... And I've given you a taste of both the Proverbs and these longer sections about wisdom. There are two mistakes that we need to avoid when we read the book of Proverbs. And I've mentioned one in passing. Um, two, Two mistakes that we need to avoid. The first one is that we'll misunderstand Proverbs if we make them absolute, if we absolutize them. That is, and this is how I used to read Proverbs, I I got in a bind doing this, and I've heard many people do this as well, so it must be a common problem. We absolutize Proverbs if we read one of the Proverbs, or or we read them all, and we claim or we act as if they're ironclad, divine promises that are always true, all the time, in all situations. And that's the point that I referenced earlier. Ecclesiastes and Job... They're, they're kind of the next step on the ladder as we wrestle with the fact that that isn't true. It's not always the case that we as the righteous always flourish, never have any problems, that we always receive riches and honor and life, and the wicked always suffer and their house is always destroyed. That's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. And you know that from life. And so we can really stumble if we come to the Proverbs and we think, what? Hang on. The proverb says this is ridiculous. Or what's gone wrong here? So we can't absolutize the Proverbs. But we can say two things here. Ultimately, the Proverbs are true in that at the final judgment, the righteous will prevail and the wicked will perish. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. As Christians, we have faith that God is just. Genesis 18.25, Abraham says to God, pleading with him before he destroys the cities on the plain, saying, what if there are five people in there who are righteous? Surely you won't destroy the wicked with the righteous. And Abraham says, surely the judge of all the earth will do right. That's our Christian faith, that God is a righteous judge, and ultimately, he will provide us with justice. So finally, these proverbs will be true, even if we don't see them being true right now in our immediate circumstances. That's the hope we have in the midst of difficult circumstances. Secondly, the proverbs are there not as divine promises like that. This is not the same as the promise that we have that Jesus will return. Proverbs themselves are asking us to have wisdom in the way we apply them. And the best example is Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Let's read it together. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Okay, so I'm not going to answer a fool. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. So what do I do? Do I answer him, or do I not answer him? I used to have a real problem with this. I was like, what? I don't know what to do here. If we absolutize proverbs, as some critics do, we would think that the Bible here contains a contradiction, and a rather blatant one. The contradiction is in the very next verse. But this is to show us that we misunderstand how proverbs work if we absolutize it. A wise person, that's the point, a wise person knows when to apply the first proverb and when to apply the second. So therefore, it depends on the fool. That person in front of you, who the Bible calls a fool, it depends on the fool as to whether you should answer them or not. And the wise person in any given situation will be applying different wisdom that they've accrued and different um, different common sense and will have this Word of God in their hearts and will be thinking through, is it wise now to answer this person? Is it the kind of fool where it would be wise to answer them, or the kind of fool where it would be wise? Not to answer them. That's how we need to read Proverbs and not absolutize them and then be confused. The second mistake, and I want to uh, come now to conclude, the second mistake we can make as we read the Proverbs. So the first one is absolutizing them. That's not what they are. They're general statements about how the universe works. They're not absolute promises. The second mistake, though, is that we can rip proverbs from out of their context. That's what I mentioned before as well. We can use them like fortune cookies. We can. We can use them like fortune cookies. But we have to understand that these proverbs have been put together in a book, Solomon's Wisdom. Solomon has written these nine chapters of prologue, has, and he, he really appeals strongly to those who read the book, saying, listen, my son, to my teaching. Do not neglect what I'm saying. Realize that this choice is there. Realize what this book is trying to teach you. You can't just rip parts of it away. The Proverbs together are God's wisdom, divine wisdom, and they belong to the Bible, which is together the scriptures, the revelation of God. Now, In the New Testament, one way that we as Christians need to learn how to read the Proverbs is to read it in light of the New Testament. In the New Testament, we read Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. And you'll see it on your screen now. Paul says, We preach, talking about the ministry of the apostles, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, that's us, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul says here that Jesus Christ is the embodiment, the incarnation of the wisdom of God, of divine wisdom. And we see exactly this, this principle in the Gospels. Uh, in Mark 6, 2, here's just one example. In Mark 6, and verse 2, we read that Jesus began to teach in the synagogue and many heard him. who heard him were amazed. They were amazed at what he spoke, at what he taught. Where did this man, this man get these things that he was speaking about, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? People are amazed at Jesus' wisdom because he's the embodiment of divine wisdom. And so the way we read Proverbs is the choice for us is therefore to choose the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ, or the folly of this world, following anything that tempts us away from the fear of the Lord. So let me finish now by saying I want to encourage you to read through Proverbs in the summer. And uh, I know this is a a one overview sermon on a book of 31 chapters with many different sayings. It's um, difficult to put it all into one message. Um, But I want to finish with a biblical encouragement before you go and do the homework. Uh, Paul says that the goal of his ministry in all the churches where he ministers is this, He says it in Colossians 2, 2 and 3. My goal is that they, that's us, the Christians and churches that he's ministered to, is they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's goal here is Jesus' will for you and for this church. Jesus desires that we would be wise. That's why the book of Proverbs is still part of Holy Scripture and the the appeal that Solomon makes. Whatever you do, get wisdom. It's more precious than silver. It's more precious than gold. That's for us. And that's Paul's heart, his ministry for the Christians, that we would know divine wisdom. And where is divine wisdom to be found? Where do all of the Proverbs ultimately point? Where does this way of life that Proverbs gives us, which way of life is it? It's the way of following Christ. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And finally, James, another great Church at Five series. James says this in chapter 1, verse 5. If you're thinking, wow, yeah, okay, but where do I start? James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, if you feel like I don't have this wisdom, I want to get there, I'm going to need help to read the book this summer. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So I hope you got the point. God wants you to be wise. He's very generous. He wants to give you wisdom. Wisdom can be found in Christ. And he sets before you the path of wisdom as the path to life. So be encouraged today. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Approach the book of Proverbs in the fear of the Lord. And trust the, pro- the promise that Proverbs gives us in those first verses, that the Lord will use this book of Proverbs, he will use those words to make you wise, to increase your understanding in the fear of him. And that means in the reverence for and love for Christ. Amen. Alrighty guys, thanks, um, thanks for your attention. We're going to take communion very soon, perhaps now. There we go. Let's take communion with Jesus Christ. That's what we're having, communion, that is fellowship with Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God made flesh, the incarnation of divine and holy wisdom. So let's have communion now with the wisdom of God.